All right, well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, as we continue our series through the gospel according to Luke. Um, Last week we looked a bit at um, Jesus and the power of the Spirit, how Jesus sought to proclaim the gospel, how he proclaimed the gospel in different communities and um, and how he made clear what his mission was. And we looked at the end of at how we are being sent out on mission, that it is our responsibility now to proclaim the gospel, our privilege, the opportunity that we have to, um, to partner with Christ and um, proclaiming the work that he has done. And this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 5, we have several miracles that we'll see. Um, several instances of Jesus teaching um, and of correcting and of doing work there in the area in different towns and places. Um, and, and the question that we have this morning is that I want us to, to really think about um, even for us who are Christians and moving forward in our life, think about what are you getting when you follow Jesus? And, and, and that's not really the proper question to ask um, necessarily, especially when, if you're to share the gospel with someone, um, you know, that's not necessarily the question that you should be answering for them, but oftentimes that can be the answer that they want to know. Why, why should I follow Christ? What am I going to get out of this? And, and again, that's not really the best question to ask or the best question to answer, but it is easy to have the wrong answer to that question, and it is easy to live with a wrong understanding of what the true answer to that question is as we live our Christian lives. We can have expectations for what Christ is supposed to do in the first place and what He's supposed to continue to do as we progress in this Christian life. And so I want to ask this question, and I want to ask it in this way, and to kind of look at it and use Luke chapter 5 as an opportunity for us to see how you can get this right and how you can get this wrong and how you can kind of be in between. You can get a little bit right and a little bit wrong, and how that impacts and affects um, our Christian walk, and how it impacted Christ in His ministry as He, we ended chapter 4 last week. And Jesus made it clear that, let's read in Luke chapter 4 at the end there, starting in verse 42. It says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So as we begin to look at chapter 5, note how chapter 4 has ended and Jesus makes it clear that he is wanting to proclaim the gospel to all the towns of Israel and even around Israel, outside of Israel some. He is wanting, his mission is to proclaim the gospel of God to everyone that he comes into contact with. The ways in which he accomplishes that are by preaching in the synagogues primarily, but also by spending time 
teaching out in the open, and he shows what the gospel looks like some through his miraculous healings. And so when we ask this question, what are you getting when you follow Jesus? I want us to consider whether or not we are thinking about the good news of the kingdom of God, the message that Jesus has proclaimed, if that is primarily what we seek to get out of following Jesus, the salvation that he offers, the salvation from our sin, or if we're looking to get some physical here and now things from him. And so let's read Luke chapter 5 with that bit of background, and then we'll look at a few things that we can expect to get as we follow Jesus. Luke chapter 5, we're going to read all of it, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, 
and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. All right, so we read a bit. There's a lot, a lot of different stories. And as I mentioned last week, I mean, we could spend, you know, we could spend three weeks or three sermons going through some of these different stories. But some of overall what I want us to kind of get a picture of even just in this chapter by itself, is that there is some cohesion, there is some opportunity that we have to piece these stories together and to see some similarities, to see some things that people would get wrong and what people would get right about what they expect to get when they follow Jesus. When they come to Jesus, what, what are you expecting? For these people, they'd been hearing reports about him. Maybe they had heard him in the synagogue and wanted to follow him around and hear some more of what he had to say. Maybe they heard about one of their friends or some guy they knew who had been healed, and they're like, wow, you know, if this really happened, I want to I kind of go see him do some of these miracles for myself. Maybe I don't, I don't have any diseases that he needs to cure, but I want to see him do it to sort of prove himself. You know, are, are these reports accurate about who this Jesus is and what he's capable of? One of the first things that I want us to see properly is that when we think about what we get when we follow Jesus, one of the first things that we get is a deeper understanding of our own sin. When we think accurately about what we get when we follow Jesus, one thing that we get is a deeper understanding of our sin. In our first story there in, here in chapter 5, we have Jesus sitting uh, or, or teaching by a lake, and there are a couple boats there, and he gets into one, which apparently is Peter's boat, and he tells Peter, hey, push me off a little bit so I can have some space so these crowds aren't pressing in on me and so that more people can hear me. And he sits down on the boat and he's teaching them. 
And then he says, hey, let's go out and let's do some fishing. And Peter says, Jesus, we've been fishing all night and we've gotten a whole bunch of nothing. So what are you expecting to happen here? Because this doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, you know, I'm not sure you will say, maybe just gave him a look, right? You ever get that look from your parents or your spouse? Like, just listen. (laughs) Just do what I asked you to do. (laughs) Don't make me say anything else because what else I'm going to say is not going to be polite. Um, I don't, I don't think he was like that, but you know, I think we can kind of get some of that idea. Um, and, and Simon, you know, realizes, look, okay, I realize I just said, you know, I think you're wrong, but you're the guy who's doing the miracles. You're the guy who has this good teaching. And so I'm going to trust you on this one and we're going to do it. Right? So verse five, he says, and Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but, but at your word, I will let down the nets. We'll go out and we'll, we'll do some fishing. And so what happens, of course, a, a miraculous thing. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So not only did they catch a ton of fish, they, they caught so many fish that, I mean, their stuff was about to break because they couldn't actually take in everything, all the fish that they were catching. And so that second boat that was mentioned comes over after they signal to them and say, hey. And so not only did they fill their boat, which they couldn't catch anything all night by themselves, but with Jesus trying to prove a point here that Jesus has command of these things and that Jesus has authority like he said he has, like we looked at in chapter 4, over all of the earth, over sin and death and his creation, Jesus shows, hey, I've, I've got this. Enough to where both those boats were filled. And so what is, what is Peter's reaction then? First he says, well, I doubt what you're saying, but I'm going to trust you on this. And then when, he, when Jesus comes through and Peter realizes, oh, I should have trusted him the whole time, and I doubted him in the beginning, what happens? What is Peter's reaction? Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. And what does he say next? Right, this, this is some of where we get this. When we answer the question, what are you getting when you follow Jesus? You get a deeper understanding of your sinfulness, a a more proper understanding that we doubt God in so many ways. God says, I can do this. God says, I am capable of doing these things, but yet we doubt him. We think, we look at what we can see. We look at what we're able to accomplish, and we put those stipulations on God and say, God, you can't do anything in this moment. You can't do anything about this situation. You can't do anything because I can't do anything. And Peter realizes the error of his ways. And we have an opportunity to realize the error of our ways when we limit God, when we think of ourselves as just as powerful as God. We realize that we've put ourselves in a position to worship the things of this world and our own lives more than the God who has created us. And this is what it looks like to understand our sin more. When we come to a realization that we are not God and that we have followed our own ways and that we have taken on ourselves authority and power that did not belong to us, 
when we limit who God is and what He is able to do. And Peter himself shows this there in verse 8. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I can't be around you. If I'm around you anymore, there's a chance that you might strike me down or that, like, you know, I might catch a plague or something because clearly I've just doubted you to your face and usually that things don't go well when people test God. When you say, God, I don't think you can do this. God says, okay, I'll show you. And then, you know, people get scared. One of the other things that we see in this chapter, not just Peter himself acknowledging his sin, but we see that what Jesus desires is to bring the sick and sinners to repentance. It's not the people who think they're okay. It's not the people who never need to go to the doctor. It's not the people who say, I've got this life figured out who are going to repent. They think that they are righteous in and of themselves. They think they're right with God. They, they think that they don't need to change anything in their lives. I'm fine. I'm good, they say. And so Jesus, there in verse 31 and 32, says, Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What we get when we follow Jesus is a deeper understanding of our sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to follow Jesus. When we invite people to follow Christ, when we have heard that we need to follow Christ, what this necessitates, what it requires from us, is a deep realization that we are not saved without Him, that we do not have eternal life without Him, that this life is not full without Him, that we have done wrong things and that we deserve death and that we deserve punishment, that we deserve what Peter was assuming he would get. Depart from me because I'm about to get judgment from you. But what Jesus is prepared to give to us even as we acknowledge our sin, is not judgment and condemnation, but when we acknowledge our sin, when we continue to have a deeper understanding of our sin, what Jesus offers to us is grace. I mean, what's amazing, when you think about when Jesus says there in verses 31 and 32, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's amazing is he says that as he's in a tax collector's house, someone who has done wrong, someone who has done everything against the culture, who, who cheats people out of their money, who sins against society, much less against God, who people hate and despise. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes are complaining to the disciples and to Jesus is saying, why? Why are, you, why are you hanging out with these people? And Jesus says, because I'm showing grace to them because they realize that they need my grace. And you only realize that you need grace when you realize that you have sin. And so it leads us to one of the next things that we get when we follow Jesus is a desire to be with Him, a desire to obey Him. 
because we've understood our sin and because we've received that grace, because Jesus has been patient with us, because Jesus has shown himself to be kind to us, we want to be with him. We want to follow him. We want to find him where he is. We want to obey him. See, it wasn't just there, just in that midst where he's hanging out with the guy who no one else likes, the guy who realizes, I need to leave all of this stuff behind to follow Christ, that Jesus is worth more than all this money that I'm getting, than this position that I have. We saw the same thing in Peter's story. And it wasn't just Peter, but it was also James and John. In verse 10, it says, And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. So Peter was thinking, He's going to strike me down. And what Jesus says is, No, don't be afraid. I'm here to show you grace and to show you the true way to live, what you can expect from me. Don't be afraid. From now on, I'm giving you a task to accomplish. Learn with me how to do that, what that looks like, what it looks like to catch men, to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to other people. There's a desire to be with him, a desire to obey him, a desire to understand the work that he is doing in this world. And when we invite people to come to Christ and we're, we're answering this question, we've answered this question for ourselves and we're answering it for them. As a pastor sometimes, um, especially when people want to come to get baptized, I want to ask and make sure, like, why? Why do you want to be baptized? Why do you want to follow Jesus? Why have you committed your life to Christ? What are you expecting to get out of it? In the first place, like, what do you think you've gotten from it? What do you think you're getting from it? And what do you think it's going to continue to look like moving forward? Because I want to understand whether or not they have come to a proper understanding of what discipleship looks like. For Jesus, proclaiming the gospel was his mission. But, but some people are too enthused with what they can get in the here and now. What's, what's interesting in our text that we'll see, in verse 1 of chapter 5, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. So you have an occasion where people were there. Jesus said, I'm here to proclaim the gospel of God. And people were there to hear the word of God. But then you also have other instances, like verse 15. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, but not just to hear him, and to be healed of their infirmities. Sometimes people want to come to Christ because they think they're getting something in the here and now physical life. Their life is going to change and be different, and it's going to be all kinds of better. They're going to get healing from whatever sickness they have. They're going to be cured of whatever disease they've had or, or protracted or, or just got in the recent past. They think, maybe my finances are finally going to get in order if I follow Christ. All of a sudden, I'm going to have money to buy these things that I need or that I want. 
I'm not going to have to worry. My relationships are all of a sudden going to magically improve and be better. The strained relationships that I have with my family are going to go away. I'm going to be able to reconcile with all of these people. It's all going to change just in a matter of moments as I follow Christ. Everything is going to be fine and wonderful. I'm going to experience all of this newness of life and newness of relationships and health and prosperity. It's why I think this story about Jesus healing this paralytic is so interesting because some people wanted to hear Jesus and hear the word of God from him. And and some people wanted to hear the word of God and see what Jesus could do for them in the here and now and sort of began to turn it on. Yeah, but what am I getting out of this? What's in it for me? And so it's easy, even if we come to Jesus in faith, to turn it and to say, yeah, but how is Jesus going to prove himself to me? How can Jesus fix my situation in this physical life and not continue to consider how Jesus is fixing my spiritual life, my continued relationship with him? on a spiritual level. And what's so interesting in this this account of the paralytic, verse 18, let's read this. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But, I mean, and this clearly is so that this man would be healed, right? I mean, this is seems to be the primary purpose for which these men are bringing this paralytic to Jesus. They know that Jesus can heal him, and they want Jesus to heal him. He wants to be healed. His friends want him to be healed. And they know that Jesus is the only one that can do something about it. And so they leave no stone unturned, no roof tile still intact, to make sure that they make it possible for this man to be in Jesus' presence. But what's interesting is how Jesus responds. The first thing that Jesus says, read verse 19, But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, You're healed. Right? Is that what it says? No, what does it say? He says, Get up, rise, and go home. Is that what he says? Well, what does he say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that interesting? Like, he clearly has come to be healed. And I'm not saying that he hasn't become, that he hasn't come to be in the presence of the Son of God and to experience salvation. But what Jesus wants to make clear And this goes back to what we talked about a lot last week and even the week before. Jesus wants to make it explicit that why he has come is to proclaim the good news of God to this world. To make it clear that his primary purpose was a spiritual function and not a physical, I can heal you of your earthly diseases function. Your primary issue is a spiritual issue. And that's what he talks about 
to this man. He doesn't say immediately get up and go home, rise, take up your bed and walk out of here, though you couldn't ever walk before. They haven't been able to walk for the last several years or whatever the case is. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus wants to make sure as he is beginning his ministry that people understand why he has come and what he is wanting to give to them primarily that lasts not just now, but for all of eternity. He wants people to be sure. He wants to make it clear that what he provides is salvation from sin. And when we experience the grace that he shows toward that he shows to us by being patient with us, by helping us, by walking alongside of us, and whenever we get this the answer to this question wrong, he comes back to the main point. He comes back to what we should be thinking. Your sins are forgiven. I don't want you to be afraid of me. I'm not a God who is all about judgment. I am a God who is slow to anger who abounds in steadfast love, who is merciful and gracious. And I have come to sacrifice myself to provide salvation. Because we all have issues. But our primary issue is a spiritual one. And so what do we get when we follow Jesus? I pray that when we come to Jesus, that we find a deeper understanding of our sinfulness, of how sin invades all areas of our lives, and that we experience His grace, that we come to Him for His grace, not so that we can keep sinning, but so that as we understand our sin, and as we understand His grace toward us, even in our sin, we can come to Him as a friend, as a Savior, who is ready to forgive us of our sins. And then also one who is not just concerned with our sins, but he, he is concerned with our life. He is concerned with our, with our physical well-being. He is concerned with us being able to take care of our families. But that doesn't mean that he's going to give us all the things that we expect. It doesn't mean that we're going to get all the money, that we're going to get all of the healing that we think we should. It's easy to get this, the answer to this question wrong. It's easy to revert back to a rudimentary understanding of what God, what, what we deserve from God. And so I want us to be careful that we have in our minds for ourselves and for others that we bring to Jesus, that we answer this question properly as we continue on in this life, what am I expecting from God? What am I getting as I continue to follow Jesus? What I get is more and more grace in spite of my sin. What I get is growth and godliness as I continue to understand my sin and to turn away from it. The miracles that Jesus does are intended to bring us to repentance. Verse 32, I think, is such, you know, verses 31 and 32, especially as we have people who work 
in the medical field. It, it's, you know, it, you understand this. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. What we can expect when we follow Jesus, what we're going to get is an opportunity to see our sins and as we experience His grace to repent, to turn away from those sins and to find grace and help in our time of need. This is what we can expect to get from Christ. Is it what you expect to get from Christ day in and day out? Is it what we proclaim to people that they can expect to get from Christ as we share the gospel, as we proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the grace that we have received from you, the grace that we have understood. I pray that as we ask this question explicitly or even implicitly, what, what, what have you done for me lately? What, what am I getting from this relationship that we would think of it not in terms of how have you helped my job out? How have you helped my health out? How have you helped my bank account out? How have you helped my relationships out? But we would come back to the fact that you have helped us out in a way that we could not help ourselves out. That you have seen our sin and that you have acted to provide salvation from our sin and to give us your spirit so that we might continue to repent all the days of our life, to understand our sin more and more and to continue to turn away from it and to turn toward you, our God who is gracious and merciful, a God who we desire to be with, a God who we desire to obey because of your grace toward us. So God, I pray that we would be a people who constantly think about not what's in it for, for me and mine, but for what you have offered to us. You have offered to us salvation. You have given us freedom in your grace, even though we didn't deserve it. And so God, we praise you and we thank you that we can be a people who have experienced that and who continue to experience that. We pray that you would continue to impact and affect our lives, affect our thinking, so that we might follow you properly. We might answer these questions well as we live this life and as we proclaim the gospel to others. Would your spirit continue to do this work in our hearts and in our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.